What do you want? What do I want? The Centauri stripped my world. I want justice. But what do you want? To suck the marrow from their bones and grind their skulls to powder. What do you want? To tear down their cities, blacken their sky, sow their ground soft, to completely, utterly erase them. And then what? I don't know. As long as my homeworld's safety is guaranteed, I don't know that it matters. I see. The question is its own purpose, Ambassador Delenn. What do you want? I'm informed that you have just seen Ambassador Jikar. Are you asking each of us this question? Perhaps. Does that invalidate the question? No. But it makes me wonder. What do you want? I want my people to reclaim their rightful place in the galaxy. I want to see the Centauri stretch forth their hand again and command the stars. I want a rebirth of glory, a renaissance of power. I want to stop running through my life like a man late for an appointment, afraid to, to look back or to look forward. I want us to be what we used to be. I want, I want it all back the way that it was. Does that answer your question? This is a mayday. We are under attack. Shootout at cyber speed. Delta wing fire. With the station in the crosshairs. Babylon will fall. This place will be destroyed. Oh, and that's Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Match incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. out there in podcast land welcome to gray 17 a babylon 5 podcast a part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices we are a group of newbie and veteran fans of babylon 5 who are watching every single episode we have two sections and the reason why i'm telling you this is because i'm going to guess some of you are going to be new to us for this show based on the episode we're talking about so we're our first section will be spoiler free we will just talk about the episode um at hand and then we will jettison our newbies. And after that, we will have the Beyond the Rim section where we will talk spoilers about what happens after this episode. And spoilers, there will be a lot to talk about in Beyond the Rim because this is Signs and Portents, which I started telling you all, the newbies, uh, with episode zero back in the gathering, the name of the first season is Signs and Portents. And we are here to the episode, Signs and Portents. So chances are good this is an important episode i'm scott and with me as always is blake emily justin jesse kevin mike andrew and nicole one thing we also have that's new and this actually came from our listeners on the facebook group is for some reason people want to give us money and 
I'm all for it because this is not free to do. So we've decided to create a Patreon. Uh, you can find us at patreon.com slash gray17podcast. And guys, we've talked a little bit about what that Patreon is going to look like. We have a couple different tiers. And of course, us being the, uh, the professionals that we are, the first tier is the You Got Cost tier for a minimal $3 per month, which will potentially pay for our boost, uh, you will be able to get behind the scenes information from us, which includes access to our Discord, which is going to be an area where we're going to just chat a little bit. Now, for those of you who are not part of the Patreon, have no fear. We're not going to be really discussing the same stuff that we would on social media on the Discord, because I completely agree that we don't want our communities being split. So let's just get some behind the scenes info on how the shows are going and how we try to record these. It's an interesting conversation. I think people will enjoy uh, learning more about. Then we've got team Ivanova. That's the Justin team. Uh, $6 per month. There you're going to get everything I just mentioned. Plus you're going to get uh, a monthly Q and a, then if you got $12 a month, you're going to get probed and you're going <laughs> to like it. So with the probe tier, you're going to get everything that we just discussed, but you're also going to t- be able to submit some co- actually. So actually this is wrong. I shouldn't say you're going to get probed. You're going to probe us. <laughs> and so you're going to do that <laughs> by being able oh. to record questions that you may have for us and send them in. And we will play those questions at least some of them, if they're, you know, suitable to be played, I'll do a little, you know, we got to make sure it's okay, but we're going to play those questions. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Mike. We're going to play those questions on the show and then we'll answer your questions. And sometimes if they're beyond the rim questions, we'll go ahead and answer them beyond the rim. If they're for the newbies, we can answer those questions here on the newbie section as well, too. And if they're (laughs) inappropriate for either section of our show, we will report them directly to the NSA. <laughs> or the Psychor. The Cora's mother. Psychor already knows. So, and then if you are somebody who truly wants to support us, and again, I, I joked about the booze money, but it, it does cost money to keep this thing going. And it'd be great if we could get a little bit of support as we move forward. You can join the Gray Council for $20 a month. You're going to get, again, everything I just mentioned, but then you're also going to get a producer credit. So we are going to be listing out producers who are helping us keep this show going. And um, we really do appreciate the help that we're getting, not only just from folks just giving us feedback in our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of that, and YouTube. But um, with the uh, the producers in the Gray Council, you'll be the ones who make this show go. And we've got some really good ideas moving forward. We're going to be going out on the road. Uh, we're looking at some conventions where we can be doing some stuff. And then we're also going to be working on getting some more guests in here, too, that are going to be some folks that I think will be um, people you'll be interested to hear from. So if you are just listening to us for free, we really do appreciate it. And please stick with us and continue to like, subscribe and give us reviews. But if you can throw in a little bit to help us out, we've got those that Patreon too. So you can go to patreon.com slash gray17podcast. Do it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a fun way for the listeners to get to know us a little bit better and for us to get to know them a little bit better. This is just more of a way to kind of get more involved. And um, I think that any support is good support. But like Scott said, if you, you know, wanted to support us and hey, if you became a producer, you get hella bragging rights. I mean, you're going to get recognized as a producer. So that's pretty dope. I mean, we're we are the 16th highest rated podcast in Germany. So, I mean, you want to be a producer of that, right? You also want to hear me yell at all of uh well, basically Scott and Justin all day long about everything. 
There's a lot more of that than you actually get to hear. 90% of the uh, behind the scenes audio is going to be Emily and Jesse and Kevin yelling at me. And I mean, yell at you. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) They will know the truth. If they are in, you got coshed. They will know the truth, Emily. You'll edit it to make me sound like I'm yelling at you all the time. There's only one person on this podcast that's actually yelled, and it was Scott. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. Yes. And unfortunately, I I, I, I bet I can go back and get that audio. If you like to hear Scott yell at his kids during a podcast, <laughs> join You Got Coshed. I'll be sure to put that up there sooner or later. It's actually the part that Germans love because they have this thing called youth unfriendliness in their country. This is new to me. Continue, Mike. No, my wife wrote a whole paper on it in college. Go on. Interesting. I will have to have her on as a special guest. Let's do it. (laughs) Patreon unlock. We're going to have Mike's Mike's wife come in and school us on Germany because she knows she actually does a shit ton more. Yeah, Yeah. that's true. She does a shit ton more about Germany than any of us do. Also, shout out to our tier names. I just love them so much. <laughs> Go to patreon.com slash gray17podcast, and we will end this selfish plug now. Digital equivalent of a guy on the corner with a sign. No shit. <laughs> so we'll go into first impressions on signs and portents, and let's go over to Emily first. Um. Wow, there was just a lot going on in this episode. Yeah, I'm probably just going to stick with, wow, there was a lot going on in this episode, <laughs> because that's... Pretty much sums up the first impression. And yay, Dylan was back. Thanks, Emily. Let's go to Jesse next. Welcome to motherfucking Babylon 5, bitches, because holy shit. It was on and popping from the second that this started. And I was like, this is what we needed. I mean, really could have skipped the first 12 freaking episodes and gone straight into this. And I'd have been like, this is the best show ever. There's like 17 plots. There's so much shit going on. I can't keep my mind straight. Um, yeah, I loved it. Every second of it. You know, in, uh, JMS's uh, commentary he put out for Signs and Portents, he related to this season as a pool game. And you rack up all your balls, and then when you're ready, you do the break shot. The break shot is Mr. Morton, and we are here. This is the break shot. So everyone's going to go spinning towards the holes now. Okay, uh, let's go to Andrew next. This episode was very good. (laughs) Oh. Was this the don't episode give, where? Don't give any commentary to that. Just like I'm leave not, right he with just, that. He just say this episode was very good. Uh, was this the episode where? <laughs> this where the who are you and what do you want come from? Partially, we haven't got who you are yet. But we got what you want or what do you want? So yes, I will say without having to do spoilers. Now you know what do you want is Mr. Morden. Cool, Justin. First impression. Well, I mean, Detective Garibaldi is on the case. Finally, uh, we have Garibaldi kind of helping uh, Sinclair look into the missing 24 hours, which I thought was kind of some of the you know revelations from that was pretty cool and kind of confirmed some of the things we've talked about in the past. Um, but then, yeah, with with Morton, I spent most of the episode going, who the fuck is this guy? Really, like I have this written down multiple times in my notes. Who is this guy? Like, and now as as soon as he said, what do you want? And I'm like, okay, that's where we get that from. Awesome. But honestly, like Ladira character was actually pretty um, interesting to me. 
she's like, oh, he's going to get consumed by the shadows. And then we get this massive freaking cloaked ship at the end that, what the hell is that? Where does that come from? I really thought Morton would get coshed from uh, Kosh having to get his armor repaired, but maybe Kosh got coshed a little bit. Who knows? But honestly, it was, yeah, there's definitely like A plot, B plot, C plot going on with this. And I thought it was really entertaining. You've got a lot of questions in there, and I promise you, we will answer all of them for you. Oh, you uh, yeah, beyond we go the beyond rim. the rim. Yeah, because we will talk a lot. We're going to talk a lot more about Mr. Morton. We're going to talk about that encounter with Kosh. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. And that's what hit me the most more than anything was that encounter with Kosh, because that's kind of the one other than like the weird gray triangle with with the which to me pops up gray council and all that stuff like those are like two of them really got resolved like you heard exactly what they wanted then with with the and then with kosh you kind of there's something going on but you don't really get that resolved and we'll definitely talk about that more me. too mm-hmm. yep. of course yeah I'll, I'll i'll find out someday well no sure. i mean we'll we will all talk about that once we get past first impressions because i think that's a huge part of this episode nicole you're up this episode was Insane. Um, I have two full pages of notes and about 17 post-its of questions and predictions that I wrote down. So I just, from start to finish, like Jesse said, it was on and popping. It's like the perfect description of this episode. I mean, there was so much going on. There were so many subplots. There was so many moving parts and it was all executed really well and it all flowed together really well. I really liked how there really was not one lull in this whole episode. I thought it was just go, 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 go. Um, and I feel like it was probably the most significant episode we've watched so far. And there's a lot of things that I had you know, written down and wanted to discuss when we get into the next segment. But overall, my first impression was like, damn, B5 is lit right now and not in a good way. <laughs> so it was really good and probably the most exciting and probably the most important episode we've seen so far, I think. B5 is lit like death, fire, pain. Yeah, that was creepy. Fire, also, pain. apparently you're the creepy Mr. Morton of our group. Thanks for uh, letting us know that. Hey, you know what? If I can come off like uh, a good impression of uh, Rod Surly. I'd be okay with that. Let's go ahead and dive into the episode. Um, I think, Justin, you started talking about Mr. Morton, and I think that is a really good place to start. So I'd love to hear from uh, the newbies as well as the long-termers, and we're going to be very careful because this is one where we could definitely dive into spoilers very quickly. So you're probably not going to hear from the long-termers as much in this section as you usually do. But uh, let's talk Mr. Morton. Who wants to chat, chat first? So I guess, is, is Morton a race we've never seen before? Is he actually human? He's human. Is he? So he like, is he, human. so like, is he Psychor? Like that's where it's, who is he? Like that's, and I guess maybe that kind of goes into the part where like, who are you? Like, who is Morton? Cause he's definitely not, he's not, a, he's not a regular human. He's something, I guess, more. And like, it was, I was fascinated with him on screen by going around and asking everybody, well, what do you want? Well, what do you want? And I, I was picking up what, yeah, he says he's human, but I was picking up a lot of, I don't know, maybe he's something else. I don't, I'm not a hundred percent convinced he's human, even though he says he is. Well, backstory wise, just from what we know from this episode, he has been away for a long time. Uh, he has been out on the rim and he has returned and his credentials are correct except for they've just been not updated in a while it's like when you don't get your sticker for your license nicole what do you got so of course at first i assumed he was shady um the way he was walking around and creepily smiling and 
I'm like, there's something about this guy that I just don't trust. And you know how he went to every ambassador. One thing I noticed that when Kosh came aboard the ship, he was lurking in the shadows, but he didn't approach Kosh. He just kind of retreated a little bit, but he went to Delenn, he went to Londo and he went to Jakar and he pushed them like, what do you want? And he, and then what do you want? And then what do you want? And then he just kept trying to push them until they either broke and told them what he wanted to hear or left. So I was just trying to figure out what the hell is going on with this guy. And then at the end, when he brings Londo, the presence, the eye, I'm like, wait, is he not shady? Is he good? Like who, who hired him? Like, where did he come from? And I was like, when Kosh told him to leave, they're not for you. Who's not for him? What the hell does that mean? You know, like there's a lot of just what, like there was definitely some tension with him and Kosh. And that's going to be one of my questions later, but I just, I couldn't tell if he was shady or not because then he did that thing for Lando at the end. And then he said, you have friends everywhere and we'll find you. And it was just his voice. Like, it was just, what the hell? Like, I don't know. I don't know what to make of him. I don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy. I don't know. Emily, go ahead. I was like, I am not convinced he is completely human. Um, And if he is, he definitely has some telepathic or other additional abilities that humans don't have. Um, Like his interaction with Kosh was very interesting and that he didn't even really say much. And Kosh is just like, no, go. They're not for you. Leave. And it was just very direct. And then we find out Kosh's protective suit was damaged somehow, which... I guess he might be implicated in that since he's the last person we saw with Kosh and his interaction with Delin, um, you know, cause he's in the room with her and then she starts getting unsettled and is like covering the triangle that just randomly appears on her forehead and is like, they're here, which also implied some sort of telepathic abilities if he is in fact human. I'm still not convinced, but. <laughs> I seriously can't wait until you all get these answers because I I'm I'm telling you right now it's not going to happen right now but you're going to get these answers and this is why I love this show so much is you're going to watch this all the way through and then you're going to immediately if you're like me and probably Blake Mike and Kevin you're going to go back and watch again because it's going to be such a different viewing the second time because when you know all the answers and you start saying oh they actually told me that answer there i just didn't catch it and they told me that there and i didn't catch it this this episode is the start of something pretty and fun andrew what do you got oh so i am willing to walk away from this convinced that uh morden is human but i do think he definitely has some sort of ulterior agenda going like uh i believe it was was it delen where he was being like just like so overly polite and like, like we're like, like oh like, well that was exactly what i was going to ask you like, what do you want and uh so he definitely has something has some agenda going on uh one thing that i wanted to point out uh because for the listeners who are unaware i do have a degree in cinema and photography and uh one thing i noticed uh was when londo first gets uh this uh eye uh he he becomes getting he's getting shot from a uh a high angle so he is so he's appearing smaller that uh shots like that are indicating that subject the subject is uh uh becoming trying to think of a good word for it uh kind of like like he uh he and or uh the centauri uh are in trouble in some way 
So I do think that uh, like that, like the whole thing that was going on with the eye, that's definitely that's not over. That's still going to come back later. Awesome. Jesse, what do you got? So Morden, I I'm convinced Morden is absolutely shady AF. Um, he, nobody does things for zero reason. And so the favor that he gave uh, Londo will absolutely come back. I have zero doubt about that. And I don't think that he just kind of lurked in the background with Kosh. I think he hid from Kosh when he first saw him and then purposely waited until the end to um, to see Kosh. I thought he was going to Kosh, Kosh, like legit thought he was going to kill Kosh. Right. Um, so and maybe he tried like I'm not 100 percent convinced that that didn't actually happen. And then I, while watching Dylan, I'm like, what kind of Harry Potter shit are we watching right now? Because, you know, the, the scar on his head would always light up anytime the, who should not be named was around. And the same thing with her, like she was embarrassed. She like covered it up. She was like, you need to get out. But yeah, going back to like Kosh, Kosh told him, like he basically told him to kick rocks before he even started his mess with him. So there's, definitely more going on there i think blake do it cross over to the dark side blake do it blake just dm me saying i could really beat up on harry potter right now i'm like do it do it i mean you can whatever listen whether however you feel about that it just (laughs) and clearly harry potter came 30 or 40 years after this show um so yeah (laughs) i mean i'm sure that there's at some point a good argument made for i think he just wanted to look at kevin's face right now until he's forming the point by point argument to tell me how wrong i am that Harry Potter sucks. <laughs> this he, is a yes, different podcast. <laughs> but I, I was I was more mortified by the fact that Jesse just insinuated that Harry Potter came 30 or 40 years after Babylon 5. It's not that I old. mean, the 90s was 20 some years ago, guys. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, but Harry Potter you. came out like in 2002, at least the first one. <laughs> okay, well, I, I mean. In the books before that. So. You're okay. attacking the, Harry Potter. Back in the time, back in the time, time before. Look, the internet never forgets. I'm sure I will get absolutely roasted for that. That's fine. I can feel our subscriber count dwindling as we continue this conversation. When I hear 30 years ago, I think of the 70s. Okay, I'm like, I'm I'm an 80s baby. So like, I'm right there with you. But let's be very clear, people. This we're going on 30 years at this point. Hate to break it to you. But anyway, moving on. Yeah, we actually just hit the 30th anniversary of the filming of The Gathering. And yep, and it took a year for the gathering to come out. So (laughs) next year will be the 30th anniversary of the gathering. Nobody watched any of the CGI in this episode and thought that this was contemporary. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) I love watching the guns on the Babylon Five. Which, by the way, we're starting to see more effects. But like those guns, (laughs) (laughs) Justin, what do you got? (laughs) I mean, I just I guess I have to reinforce my point that I don't really think Morden is human. I really don't. I think he's part of some kind of alien race that we have not seen yet. And especially with the lens reaction with their here and everything like that. Like this is some, maybe this is the ultimate villain of the B5 series with, you know, their ability to appear human or appear however they want. They're massive giant cloaked ships, like the way they just sawed, you know, that, that one ship apart towards the end of the episode. And, you know, I really honestly like 
I think Ladira, Ladira's kind of um, prophecies, I don't think really, they say, well, maybe she's right, sometimes she's right, sometimes she's wrong. But I really don't think that a lot of her prophecies have come to pass yet, where she like foresees Babylon 5 destroyed and stuff like that, or she sees some kind of like major conflict, death and destruction. Um, you but know, the other ones again, destroyed. No, 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 go ahead, Emily. Well, you um her prediction about the station being destroyed, I'm wondering if that was actually in reference to one of the previous stations and not a prediction for this one, maybe. It could be. It could be, or maybe she's seeing something from the farther future that yeah. we haven't experienced yet. Like I've, I keep, I'm sorry to keep harping on it, but I think a major war or conflict is coming, and maybe it's not, maybe it's not against any of the races we know. Maybe it's against this race of, you know, whatever this guy belongs to, the 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 shadow. You know, what is the shadow? Who strikes to the hearts of men? The shadow knows. Who is the shadow? So Alec that's kind of maybe. Yeah, but we're saying well, the shadow is Alec Baldwin. Yeah, that's actually a pretty fucking. Honestly, good honestly, it's not. Okay, yes, diverging. I'm sorry, Jesse and everyone else for divulging again. But yes, the shadow was a great fucking movie. But I used to actually lay in bed at night and listen to the original 40 serials. I love the shadow, but honestly, like, who? What is the shadow? Like, what are the shadows? And I think it's something that we haven't experienced yet as newbies. Jesse, I think you had something to add about the shadows. I thought I thought that Morden was who the um, crazy lady was yelling about being the shadow. The shadows are here or whatever she was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that that he was part of whatever it was because I mean, Dylan even said, oh, here we go. Um, Dylan even said they're here, you know, whatever she said. And I assumed that, you know, that that was that guy that they were talking about. Nicole, what do you got? Um, I think it was Emily who said or yeah, I think it was Emily who said that. Um or maybe it was Jesse that said they thought that Morden was going to try to kill Kosh. I kind of felt that too, um, that I thought maybe he was like going after Kosh. Um, and then when they said that Kosh's thing got damaged and they didn't want to disclose how, I'm like, okay, they must've had a fight. Um, but my other thing is who the fuck does Morden work for? Like who is pulling his purse strings? Was he a raider? Was he the shadow? Is he a crazy alien force we haven't seen yet? Like where is his, his backer? Like where is his, resources coming from you know i think that's um probably the biggest question about him that i would have kevin go ahead i really enjoyed the the acting in this in this episode especially i thought it was all very tight um i think ed wasser does a great job as as mr morden i really think that um there's a a great shot of uh the discussion between uh garibaldi and um Sinclair in Sinclair's office and speaking of uh of film stuff it was a it's a really cool you know circular shot and those are really tough to do I know Straczynski talked about that in the commentary track that you know the actors got to be on point for the entire shot and stepping over cords and all all kinds of other stuff and it's it's a really cool way to do a, a longer um set of lines by an actor in a scene. And I really enjoy that. I'm really glad somebody brought up Ed Wasser. We actually met him before. He was on the bridge during the gathering, different character. They just use the same actor. So there's a lot of headcanon out there with people, but they different character. Um, But, you know, he didn't really have much in his background before this. This is one of his first big roles. And 
honestly, he doesn't have much after this. I mean, he's he's got some credits, but this is his big hurrah, and he does an amazing job. And I'm actually talking. I'm going to talk a little bit more about his acting uh, in Beyond the Rim because it's a bit spoilerly, but he does a really good job. And again, when you go back and watch him a second time around after you guys have had the answers you're looking for, you're going to appreciate his performance even more. And I'll leave it at that. Blake, what do you got? So I was just going to follow up with what Kevin was saying about some of the acting in this episode. This was actually one of the later episodes produced in the first season. I think production order on this was 16 or 17 um, out of the 22 episodes of the first season. So this one was pretty late in the production order. And I think it really does show in this episode, they were starting to hit their stride as a cast together, as well as the production team and how the look and the feel of the episodes. I think we've seen that evolve over the first season so far as well, looking at some of the lighting and some of the production uh, through the season, some of the uh, camera shots they've used. So really looking at it from that aspect, I think this is really where you can start to see the series come together. I think every show, no matter what one you want to talk about, the first season, you're going to have those bumps and hurdles, but it always hits this one episode where it comes together and really hits its stride. And for B5, this one, this one for me is it. I completely agree with you, Blake, on that. Justin, go ahead. To kind of switch gears here a little bit, I I kind of like really had a lot of interest in the subplot with Garibaldi and Sinclair about trying to kind of uncover a lot more of his missing 24 hours. And the thing that kind of stuck out with me more is when Garibaldi came back to Sinclair and said, hey, I kind of found out you weren't the first to leave the station. And not only that, you weren't the first, the fifth, the tenth, or maybe even the hundredth. Like they rejected a lot of people before they settle on Sinclair. And then Again, that kind of harkens back to, I think, a few of us have had this conversation about what is Sinclair to the Membari and why are the Membari fixated on him? And is he a sleeper agent? Is, you know, what, what you know, the Membari only signed on to the B5 project because they wanted to have a say on who ran the station. And they're like, no, this is our guy and we won't accept anything else. So, again, why... What makes what makes Sinclair so important to the Mimbari? And that is, again, a question that I won't probably learn anything about until like two years down the road. So but for our listeners who are OK with spoilers, you will find out in about 20 minutes, kind of maybe. Nicole, what do you got? And I and I hate you all. I do just it just to that. piss you and Jesse off. I know you are the two who get the most annoyed by it. And that's why I continue to do it. And I will continue to do it. I did say, uh, um, well, I won't even say it that way. I will tell you that it won't be the full five seasons before you get some of these answers, because what JMS is really good at is he will set up some questions for you. He will answer those questions and then he will set up more questions and then answer those questions. So it's not like JJ Abrams, where you have the mystery box that won't get answered until the last episode and you won't like the answer you will get answers as you go. And that's what I love so, about this show. So too. it's kind of like, so I guess it's kind of like a Hansel and Gretel where you get kind of little drips of knowledge along the way. Yes, like and Sinclair nuggets. will be stuck in the oven by the witch. I, yes. Probably. <laughs> Honestly, that wouldn't surprise me at this point. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, I, do, I, I, I do appreciate that this show, it respects the intelligence of the audience more so than some shows that are serialized do. They recognize that if we get too far ahead of the audience to where it just doesn't make any sense anymore. The audience is going to get lost. And if the audience gets ahead of us too much, it's going to be a waste as well too. So they try to keep the pace going. And like, as several of you pointed out here, this truly is where we 
I, I said, uh, and the sky full of stars is when the gas was pushed. We are now on the racetrack. There's going to be a couple bumps in that racetrack before we get through season one, but we're on the racetrack now. Nicole, what do you got? I kind of wanted to go off of something Justin said that made me think of it um, about the Membari and the Sinclair connection. Cause I was thinking about that too. I'm like, you know, that they turned down a bunch of people to run B5 um, and they chose Sinclair. The thing I think potentially could have happened is I don't think Sinclair is a sleeper agent. I think maybe Sinclair uncovered a secret or he uncovered something that could maybe take the Membari down or burn the Membari. So they took him aboard and tried to torture him and tried to turn him. But you've seen time and time again that Sinclair is so loyal and so like steadfast and so convicted in his in his beliefs and his feelings I don't think he would ever turn, even if it was his life, unless they like potentially, what's the word, hypnotized him or something along those lines. You know, that could be another potential issue. But I don't think he is somebody who would ever turn on um, Earth or anything like that, really. There is something, a, a secret Sinclair knows, because in the previous episodes, that creepy Mambari guy told Delin, you're going to have to kill him if he remembers so I think he knows something or has some sort of key to unlock the unravel or the downfall of the Membari. That's why they love him so much and why they keep close. Because, you know, the saying, keep your enemies closer. I don't know if they view him as an enemy, but they definitely view him as a threat. That's what I've gathered. Uh, also, Dylan married him. So, you know. <laughs> but, Nicole, that's what sleepers do. Like, sleepers always appear the most loyal. So I honestly, I can't, I, I can't get on board. I can't get on board with the sleeper. I love you. I love you, but I think you're wrong and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, but well, I, I will look tell forward you to right that resolution. Now, I will tell you right now, one of you is wrong. And we'll find out in 10,000 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we'll find out beyond the rib when I, I can I, listen to this. Yeah. In five I years. love when you guys have a binary. It's either one way or the other. One is wrong. <laughs> Damn it. I hope it's Justin. Oh, I did have a, a random thing that, that that just made me think of it. In the very beginning, when Ivanova's alarm clock was going off, August 3rd, 2258, is that a specific, this could be a question, but is that a significant date or is that a, an important date or was it just her alarm? It's. I don't think it's significant unless Blake, Kevin, and Mike know something I don't. But what I will tell you and what you're going to learn this show the seasons are calendar years. So for the most part, our season finales are going to be New Year's. And our start oh. of season two is going to be the start of the next year. And that's why you'll actually see this. And again, this is not a spoiler. You'll see this in the intros. They Every year, they will tell you the year and the season, the year switches over. So you are watching a year in time. So we're about halfway, a little over halfway through the season. We're in August. And we will continue through the year yeah there's there's no significant to the date that i know of other than what scott just said is just signifying that you know through the sequence of the season being a year this is just to position it basically that yeah it, it would be august not any significance and jms talks in the commentary track about how he hate more hates mornings so mm -hmm. sometimes he will inject that kind of personal information into some of his characters mm -hmm. so in this case that that thing with Ivanova hating mornings is all JMS, you know, and uh, this is a, another thing that I just freaking love about Ivanova because I am absolutely not a morning person. I am an insomniac and I usually go to bed about three or four in the morning. So when I when I work with my staff at my professional job, 
they know just to leave me alone until about 9 30 10 o'clock just just don't talk to him he'll be fine <laughs> so ivanova well, and I, ivanova is my spirit animal justin go ahead <laughs> well and i thought that was actually really interesting like the beginning part of the episode and i i kind of hope it gets kind of developed more was her that interaction when she first comes onto the bridge they're like well do you know did you not sleep well and she's like well it's not the sleeping it's the waking up that's the problem well what do you mean and and she said something to the effect of it's oh shit i lost my train of thought hold on well she said uh she doesn't like waking up when it's dark outside and then yep. Sinclair points right. out, and there's and then dark. it's like it's always dark in space and she's yep. like exactly so yeah, like she, I thought that was I thought that was actually maybe a very poignant character development for Ivanova that I hope to see kind of carried on. This actually got brought up by people all the way back in 1994. So he actually posted that script page on the Usenets, and so it goes, Ivanova, I hate mornings. I've always had a hard time getting up when it's dark outside. Sinclair, we're in space. It's always dark. Ivanova, forlornly, I know, I know. <laughs> But I thought it was actually really interesting like that. And it's and honestly, you guys warned us at the beginning. We would grow to love her. And I am. It's goddamn you guys. Well, I think part of it, too, you know, we, we we highlighted Ed Wasser. Uh, I think um, Claudia Christian is coming into her own in this character as well, too, as we we watch her develop. I think she's getting more to do. And I think, Jesse, I don't want to speak for you too much, but I think one of your complaints was she doesn't have much to do. She's starting to get more to do. Even in this episode where she's not a major part of the episode, she's got something. And I think Claudia Christian is starting to be able to chew on that a little bit more as she's given more to do, too. And just wait. I mean, again, we've we've all said it. Blake has said it. Ivanova is one of the most loved characters in the show, and you will see why. I promise. Anyone else have anything else? We've talked about Mr. Morton. We've talked about Kosh. We've talked about um, uh, other things, too. Emily, what do you got? Back to Morton and Kosh when they were having their interaction. I kind of got the feeling that this space station is going to act like a site for a proxy warp. If they're if Morden isn't human, is just a different type of species that has higher abilities, like we're assuming the Vorlon do after seeing that little bit in the suit. So yeah, that was um, my thought there that this might be a proxy war for some higher level beings of sorts. Nicole, what do you got? Also, too, there was no indication at the end um, how Lando assumed he was going home and he was like losing his job, but then when he regains the eye. Do we know if he turned it in? Like, do they explain that? Like, there was just no, oh, yeah, I have the eye. And then that was it. There was no follow-up. Did he return it? Is he safe? I mean, obviously, I don't think they're going to get rid of Lando. He's one of the best characters on the show. I have a feeling he's not going anywhere. But my question is, did he return the eye? And what's going to happen with that? Is there going to be a further conflict with, you know, Lando and maybe other Centauri um, or... And one thing I will say, I did not expect the Shady Count to be on that Lord Credo guy or whatever his name is. I shady definitely and the did not see that. Count. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, the Shady Rip Count. I did not expect him to be shady. Um, I actually thought that Ladera Lady was going to be shady at first, uh, and I had that totally backwards. Um, but yeah, they they just don't say what happens with the eye. Like, so I, you know, what's going to happen there? You know, I'll go ahead and answer that now because it's the same thing that I, I keep going back to the used nets. In 94, somebody said, you didn't say if Londo actually went through with returning it. And JMS flat out said, it was made very clear in the episode that if Londo did not return the eye, he would not be working at B5 anymore. And guess what? He's still working at B5. So, yeah. 
we probably could have got a little bit of a scene saying, yeah, he returned it, but he returned it because if not, he would be out of a job. Mike, what do you got? You know, everybody else has basically taken all the good points. So I just want to point out that at one point, Jakar says, kiss my pouch, which leads me to believe that <laughs> not reptilian. They're actually marsupials. You, you, you know, and John uh, is not with us again because he's touring Europe at the same time that Europe is going through some major royalty changes read into that as you will he'll be back next week but john is our resident londo fan and i think this scene at the elevator is one of the best londo jakar moments i love the the extra they got who does such a great job watching the pinball move between the two of them and he's just sitting there it's so it's so 1950 40s comedy shtick and i freaking am all for it it's great honestly i was sitting there thinking like this is straight up like walter Matthau, jack lemon's type you know yes. type stuff and i thought like that poor guy in the middle the entire time i was like that poor guy having to do it and then he just gets on the elevator and takes off and leaves them both behind and i was like that's perfect and the Chef's timing kiss. and the timing of those two look what you made me do it's just you you have to love Jakar and Londo. You just have to. And if you don't, I, I don't know where your humanity is because well, these two are great. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, despite the fact that we were, I think at this point, pretty well versed in the animosity between the two of them, this is really one of the first times where you see them like go at it like an old married couple. Yeah, I agree. It's so good. Nicole, what do you got? I should say that was one of my favorite parts too. Uh, the fact that, that poor guy was stuck in the middle reminded me of that blonde dude who just kept getting knocked out. Like wrong place, wrong time, bro. You know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then he just gets on the elevator and dips. He's like, y'all can keep fighting. But it kind of like made me think of the movie Grumpy Old Men a little bit too. Like they just had that, you know, argument. But it was it was kind of fun to see them because it was like, it was like they were confronting each other and it was an argument, but it was also so comical. And they said the same thing at the end and stormed away. Like, children you know and i feel like there is a lot of animosity there between them but i also feel like a smidge they might like each other just a little like a love to hate you kind of situation i do love that we went through 60 years of film right there i said a 1940s comedy justin referred to the odd couple and then you went straight on ahead to uh, grumpy old men we just went all the way around and i will say to another really good uh uh, movie like that for all the political nerds out there is my fellow Americans. You want to have two guys go at it? Yeah, kind of good movie. Uh, yes. Yeah. God, I'm I'm gonna go downstairs and watch my fellow Americans when we're done here. I freaking love that movie. Like, it's such ahead. a wonderful film. That movie is incredible, and yeah, I'm probably gonna end up having to stream that myself now. On the Lando Jakar scene, I mean, that was great. It, the, the two actors here, Andreas Katsoulis and Peter Jurassic, the relationship that those two had you know, both on camera and off. Because uh, there's stories that come out of some of the conventions and other things with those two pulling pranks and having commentary. And that carried through with the chemistry that they had on screen as well. One of the ones, and it took place around this around the first season, uh, they were telling the story at one of the uh, conventions where uh, Andreas and Peter Jurassic went on stage uh, first before JMS did and told the and did this whole bit where they basically convinced the entire crowd that no matter what JMS said when he came out, don't clap, don't cheer, do nothing. And so JMS went out, did his bit, and the crowd is just dead silent. He's saying he's flopped. And then those two come out and do a whole routine about how it was just a joke on him. That's mean so. because we know that JMS has huge social anxiety issues. Yeah. <laughs> That's just mean. <laughs> 
and, and he did get them back later. He, oh, he I have no doubt. He came up with a get back later for them. It took him a while, but he did get there. But I mean, that was just the relationship those two built. And it showed through in the characters and the interactions that they had on screen as well. We definitely give a lot of love to Peter Jurassic, but I'm glad you also brought up Andreas Katsoulis. And um, we will get a lot more Jakar, spoilers, um, and uh, he will get a lot more to do. Um, so those, they, uh, but I would say the three best actors, and I apologize for those who feel like I'm dishing on other actors, but the three best actors in this show, Mira Furlong, Andreas Katsoulis, and Peter Jurassic. Flat out. Flat out. But 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 Andreas is gone, right? Yes. Yeah, he passed away. He I'm passed totally away, wrong. right? Yeah. Okay. And Mira, and Mira Furlan passed away as well, too. So oh, only. really? Okay. Yeah. So I would say, I think I'm finally starting to come around to Jakar. The comment when they were talking about how I can drink to that with the women at that one episode, Born of the Purple, that's kind of when I was like, okay, Jakar, I see you. And then this one with that interaction between them, even though I still think Jakar is shady as hell, I kind of am starting to like him too. I mean, I'm, I will say I'm definitely on board with Ivanova now. Like I like her a lot. I think her character just keeps getting better and better. So, um, but I definitely turned a corner with Jakar and I don't hate him like I used to. I, I, I can see the value of him on the show and I can see the talent he brings. And I've been able to kind of, you know, recognize that. And that has superseded my anger towards him. I, th- I think another reason why, and I, I, I continue to be a shell for this show because obviously I am, but I think one of the things I love about the show too is there's a lot of gray. There, there are no black and white characters. There are villains who you are going to love and there are heroes who you're going to want to punch in the face and everyone is in between. And I love how JMS set up Jakar as the antagonist in the first uh, pilot, The Gathering. He is the bad guy. At the end, we get we make fun of him. He's got the thing in his belly, and we go beep beep. And now we're starting to see that there's more to this character. Uh, and the same thing with Londo. Londo was a buffoon in the Gathering. He was set up as being the drunken ambassador who is just there because no one else wanted him. And now we're seeing that he is starting to move and shake. So you're getting a lot out of these guys, and I love it. I think we hit on most everything. We had the Raiders in this episode, and then we didn't. <laughs> let's go ahead and move into questions and predictions so for those just joining us the newbies are going to give us their questions and predictions and actually they've given us a lot already which is completely understandable this is a big lore episode and then we will we'll send them out the airlock like code off and then we will answer those questions and beyond the rim for those who stick around let's go to emily first questions and predictions so i have four questions i still want to know when sinclair first met delin because i still think it was prior to him being taken on board during the war um what species is morden actually what made the triangle on delin's forehead appear and were they at a urinal in that last scene (laughs) so behind the scenes Emily messages me almost a week ago. Were Garibaldi and Sinclair taking a piss? <laughs> Not my exact words, but basically. Not your exact yes. words, but that's what you're going for. I love this deep commentary we get with these episodes. Were they in the John? I'm going to assume, I'm going to go with a yes, because sometimes men, you you will understand this. And actually, and women, you I'm sure you do the same thing, not to be sexist, but sometimes we have interesting conversations in the john but someone walked in the hallway i don't know so it seemed really open to be like a urinal but <laughs> they were a brave new here. world what do you and want from me like uv germ things on their hands and yeah okay 
And to, to quote my fellow Americans, I have to keep my hands on the first penis. <laughs> I love that movie. Wow. I'm going to go okay. watch that movie immediately. <laughs> I'm reconsidering my life choices. Thank you. Have you ever seen that movie? No. So watch good. it. <laughs> James Garner, Jack Lemon. It's so good. I'll hail the chief because he's the chief and he needs hailing. <laughs> and I am if you don't, I'll have to kill you. Hail like crazy, you dirty bastards. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, there's so it was, it was all a facade oh yeah um, we, we, we met somewhere over the rainbow mr president <laughs> okay oh my god so many good quotes i so need to do a fl- i need to do a front row front row flashbacks with uh my fellow americans i'll get some of you on. honestly yeah get us all involved in that that'd be so good i'll call ryan luden's up we'll get it to happen maybe election time okay so Questions, predictions, we'll go now to Justin. I guess the two main uh, questions that I, or or predictions that I haven't kind of alluded to so far in this episode is, I mean, and I guess other people, what the fuck's going on with the triangle on Delenn's head? Honestly, it's, it has to, I think it has something to do with the Grey Council where whatever this species is that's now prevalent, you know, came into Babylon 5 because he's not human in my prediction, kind of triggered something within Delenn that kind of made her expose herself. My second comment is to quote another famous movie, who does number two work for? Who do the pirates work for? I mean, honestly, are they 100% mercenary or are they working for some kind of bigger common objective? We see them attacking. We've, we've seen them across a few episodes, I guess, attacking different ships and stuff like that. But to me, like this episode was the first time where we saw some kind of coordinated effort by them and some kind of leadership, I guess. And my question is, what is their objective? Who are they and what do they want? Cool. Jesse, go ahead with your questions and predictions. Um, I I want to know what happened with Caution Morden. I want to know how his gear got or his um whatever got damaged. Um, and I want to know why. And I don't know if you guys answered this. I'm not gonna lie. I I was not listening. Like almost probably half of the fucking. <laughs> Sorry, I've got you can send your hate mail to Jesse at gray17podcast (laughs) at gmail.com. I took Friday off and I've got a lot of stuff to return to in my brain. Jesse, I love you so damn 100% there right now. I'm sorry. Um, why was Sinclair chosen by the Minbari to run B5? Why were so many, you know, crossed out and he was it? So I'm gonna guess it all plays back into the battle of the line, but I mean, I don't know. Okay, cool. Uh, we'll go to Andrew. Questions and predictions. Oh, well, so far, everyone's kind of taken most of my questions, uh, but I will go ahead and ask, uh, what does Morden want? Look at you being existential. And, uh, what do you want, Mr. Morden? I need to know what Scott it. wants, because I'm not sure anybody's ever asked him that either. So, <laughs> Or maybe we don't want to know what Scott wants. <laughs> Move on. We don't want to know. Move along. That's where I was going, Jesse. Oh. <laughs> uh, Jesse, I will answer your question with a... <laughs> Yeah, okay, that's not great. Scott is a simpler creature than you all give him credit for. (laughs) That's true. That's true. I'm not very in depth. Please let Andrew continue because I did it to him again. I swear to God, I don't do that. It's always Jesse who steps on it. It is every single time Andrew starts to talk. I feel like I just, you know what? Nobody's talking. Stop it. (laughs) Andrew. Uh, my second question, just for shits and giggles. Oh, what did Jakar want for supper? He wanted those little crawdads he had last time. And the, the pig head. And a human. It was a German Shepherd skull. (laughs) It was a German Shepherd skull. You guys are terrible. 
<laughs> they wanted a human. What did you say? Probably the little, female. The little crabs. What? The little the little crawdads. Remember they were crawling Wait, off his plate. Ooh, we slap your mama. <laughs> Mikey's okay. gonna be on the rim, guys. N- N- Nicole, please help us with your questions and predictions. <laughs> so I think a lot of my questions have been asked, or I've already asked. But one thing I did notice in the vision uh, when. Ladira showed Sinclair um, Babylon Five getting destroyed. I don't. I noticed that a little ship came out before it got destroyed. So I want to know: Is Babylon Five going to get destroyed? Is it still in danger? Who was on that ship? Did anyone survive? And did the key characters survive? Like how? Like was it a Titanic situation? Like how did that work? But I did notice that little ship got out right before it exploded. And then I think that was all the other questions that I had. Oh. When the radar ship got destroyed at the end with that like shadow ship, was that the Vorlons? Because I wondered if that was the Vorlons. Because Kosh, okay, maybe it wasn't then. Yeah, because the ship would look different. Because when Kosh and him had the conflict at the end, I thought maybe did he go find them and shoot it down? But then that wouldn't make sense on why that creepy guy brought the eye back because Kosh probably wouldn't have known about that. So, but I was just curious about that. That was just something I wrote down. Cute how you answered um, your own question right there. It was, it was nice. <laughs> I saw everybody shaking their heads, and I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. Again, this is an audio format <laughs> show, and I got people going, no. Yeah, I understood. Um, and then prediction-wise, I just think there's more fuckery coming for Babylon 5, and it's just always fuckery. So interesting to see what's going to happen next. Well, we've got several more episodes to go, close to 100, so I'm assuming there will be fuckery. Okay, well, we'll go ahead and end our conversation for signs and portents with our newbies there. For those of you who are watching B5 for the first time with our newbies, we're going to go to credits, and that's when you're going to want to go ahead and leave with them. Because I'm telling you right now, we are going to, based on this episode, because again, it is the first really big lore episode, we're basically going to talk about the entire show in the Beyond the Rib section and mainly spoil the entire show. So please, I'm serious. If you do not want to be spoiled, uh, go ahead and leave after the credits roll. So until next week, when we talk about I'm a union guy, so I like this one by any means necessary. I'm Scott. And with me as always has been Blake, Emily. I'm Justin. Jesse. Kevin. Mike. Andrew. And Nicole. And we will see you next week on Gray 17. And for those who want to be spoiled, stick with us after the credits and we will answer all these questions, predictions our newbies had. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to this podcast and links to our social media accounts at anchor.fm slash gray 17 podcast. We want to hear from you. So please join the discussion on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Gray 17 is a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. You can find all the Front Row shows at thefrontrownetwork.com. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All audio clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing Babylon 5 themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim, where we are going to spoil everything 
about signs and portents. And of course, because this is a very important lore episode, we're basically going to tell you the entire show. Uh, so if you do not want to get spoiled, now is the time to leave. Okay, guys, where do we want to start? Morton, how many places? Um, Shadows. Yeah, we. Uh, well, first, I want to mention one thing the newbies missed going through the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, what Delenn was doing yes. when Morton came mm-hmm. to her quarters. She's As making I mentioned, a little... this is production order like 16, 17. Yes. So at this point, Chrysalis is being established, and she's actually building the whatever platform device uh that is gonna be come into play in chrysalis that will transform the lens from her current form um into you know the more human characteristics with the hair um which as we've discussed the original plan was delenn was going to be a male character that transitioned to female through that process um and due to mira furlong's voice they just could not convincingly make that that happen so Delenn was made female throughout, but there's going to be that transition to the more human characteristics with the hair and the the even skin tone changes. I think they yes. used less makeup yes, um, in the prosthetics when they got into that. So you know what you saw when Morden was standing there in their court in her quarters was she was built starting to build that. Um, the one thing though, the triangle because there was a lot of questions about the little glowing triangle. Yes, and I was doing I was doing a deep dive on that today and didn't really find much, and it doesn't come into play much after this season either. I think they kind of ditched that whole yeah. Um, they never really explained it or went anywhere with it. About a year ago, JMS put out a commentary for Science and Portents, and he brings it up, and he basically said it has two meanings. One, and basically because I guess I he he kind of built this out during season one, so that's why it has two meanings instead of one. The one is it denotes great council member flat out but then it is uh as he put it a shadow detector so much like later on sheridan will learn that if you look at video screens and look at different signals you can tell if a shadow is there this tells delin that there are shadows there which goes into one of the things i wanted to hit on with ed wasser and i mentioned you're going to really appreciate his uh, acting the second time there are times where you can see that he is pausing to listen to his handlers because there is at least a shadow with him at all times, usually two. And we will actually see in a later episode, there are two shadows right next to it. And that's what Kosh sees. So you watch watch Ed Wasser's eyes. He like will just kind of look a little bit just to like wait for his handlers to tell him what to say. And I love that. Mike, what do you got? Yeah, I think another thing that the newbies kind of glossed over in this episode, I don't know that it was necessarily lost on them, but we know that it comes into play later, is the fact that um, there's a lot of turmoil on the Centauri homeworld. And mm-hmm. we're, we're actually hearing about um, plans to over, overthrow the, the current emperor to, to have the power change hands because people are dissatisfied with the way things are going. Uh, some of the great houses are disenchanted or disen- disenfranchised. Um, and obviously that's a lot of foreshadowing for what we see in later seasons. Yeah, we get a lot of world building there. We, we now know the Emperor has been in seclusion for over a year, which we will see the Emperor soon. Um, and yeah, uh, that's that's a good, very good point. I think the one thing when we're talking about the Centauri with Londo is the tragedy of Londo is he keeps making bad decisions. He makes two bad decisions, actually three bad decisions in this episode. First off, he knows using Nicole, he knows Lord, the Lord is, um, what's his name? Lord Kiro. Lord Kiro is shady. So he knows he shouldn't let Lord Kiro decide where, what happens with the eye, but he lets Lord Kiro decide, okay, we're going to secretly transport it to uh, the Centauri homeworld, which obviously is Lord Kiro 
hoping the Raiders will steal it and give it back to him. Londo didn't have to do that. Mistake number one. Obviously, mistake number two is giving in to Morton and saying exactly what uh, Morton was looking for. And then mistake number three is going along with it and giving the eye back after he knew something had happened. So the tragedy of Londo really does start here, like a lot of things starting right here. There's there's a point about that, and, and I guess we could dive into the conversation that the newbies are kind of hung up on the fact that there's more to Morden than meets yeah. the eye, you know, whether he's fully human or whether he's psychic or whether there's something else going on. And that's the fact that um, I think it was kind of interesting that in a lot of the scenes, particularly with Jakar and with Londo, there's the moment where Morden transitions from being this weird nuisance guy to he's about ready to walk out of the room and then something in their brains clicks and it's to me it read obviously as some kind of a psychic uh, approach Hmm. uh, trigger that that suddenly those guys stopped in their tracks and and just spilled their guts Hmm. i i I can see that but i don't agree um i see it more of a psychological thing if you ask somebody the same question over and over again you're going to keep peeling away the onion what do you want? And they answer it with like, I want a chicken sandwich, but what do you want? Well, see, I think that uh, kind of cheapens this. it to me because what I thought was kind of interesting was the fact that with Jakar, uh, like I want to think that it's something that was triggered by a psychic connection because with Jakar, he unloads mm. all of his hatred for the Centauri, but he also comes up short mm-hmm. because Morden pushes him again. What do you want? And, and there's a point when he says, you know what? Revenge is good enough. I don't have any higher ambitions beyond that. And I don't know if that necessarily makes him endearing to me or not. But by contrast, Londo goes, I kind of figure all the way. Right. Yeah, well, Londo, and that's why the shadows very, go with him. Yeah. yeah. And he, he does the same kind of thing. He's he's trying to dismiss Morden, but eventually something snaps in him and he unloads, but it goes all the way to I want my people to be great. I want I mean, he never really says, like, I want to be the emperor, but uh, I don't know. I don't think Londo wants to be emperor at this no, point. I don't fact, think I don't so. Think he ever wants to be emperor. He just wants to be he wants the empire to be but, where it was. But he wants a lot higher ambitions than just simple revenge compared yeah, to Jakar. I and I, I think agree. that's well, really interesting. And and like I said, I think it. I like the idea that that was something that was kind of extracted hmm. from him because it shows like a really deep down truth, not something that they maybe controlled. What they I like say. that. I like that we're getting one of our first major disagreements on this because I think that takes away agency from the characters. I think if the characters are forced to give this answer, then the tragedy that is Londo saying what he wants uh, is a little different. But I can I completely see where you're going because of the way it's played. You can definitely read into that. Absolutely. Since you brought it up, though, Mike, let's go ahead and talk about all of the connections that Morden's made during this episode. So we've already talked about Jakar. And Jakar wants revenge, but that's not good enough for the shadows. Oh, uh, oh, go ahead, Blake. Before we jump off uh, Londo real quick, I was going to say, because yeah. this is this episode events come up later, uh, season three, point of no return, I think. Um, Lady Morella, who is, will be the Centauri Emperor's widow at that point. Major Barrett. Yeah, which is Major Barrett, does a reading of Londo. And I, I pulled up the quote, that's what took me a minute to get. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's you, you still have three opportunities to avoid the fire at the end of your journey. Yes. You've already wasted two others. You must save the eye that does not see, which is this episode. Mm-hmm. You must not kill the one who is already dead. And at the last, you must surrender to yourself, to your greatest fear, knowing that it will destroy you. And um, killing so the one who's already does dead. set the arc for Londo. And killing the one who's already dead is Mr. Morton. Yeah. Which goes into 
Thank you, Blake, for doing that. What is Morton? He's a zombie, mm-hmm. flat out. He is a human who went uh, with um, uh, Sheridan's wife, actually, with uh, on the Icarus. Great name for a ship. You always want to name your ship Icarus. Uh, and they encounter the shadows and die. But the shadows reanimate them and send them back. So he is a human zombie. That, that line where the guy asks him, did you find anything interesting? Yes. Yes, I did. And they're sitting right next to me, actually. You just can't see them. And, <laughs> um, and it's uh, I, I love when we reveal the shadows for the first time um, with them, with Mr. Morton. I'm, I'm looking forward to minds being blown when that happens. So let's go ahead. And since Mike brought it up, too, is talk about each of the interactions that Morton had. So we've already talked about Jakar. He just wants revenge, and then he wants to go play with bone flutes from Centauri Bones. So he's done. Shadows don't see enough in that to make it work. Londo is the one the shadows latch on to because he wants that empire. He wants to change the universe, which is what the shadows want. So that's where they're going to go. Was that blind, big blind ambition? ambition. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's when that's what the shadows want, but they also do go to Delenn and obviously Delenn is, uh, has an upper hand. And I think the way I read this and, I don't think this is ever talked about in canon and Blake, you're the one who's most read up. So tell me if I'm wrong. I assume that the shadows don't know yet that the Vorlon and Mimbari know when the shadows are coming back because they don't know that Sinclair went back a thousand years and told the Vorlons and Mimbari, this is when the shadows are going to come back. Mm -hmm. So the shadows are just playing their normal game. They do every thousand years and saying, Hey, let's go talk to the major races and see what happens. And that's when the shadows realize that Delenn knows yeah. that they're coming. But I, I love the way Mira Furlong does it too, because now we know, even though Delenn knew the shadows were coming, she did not know exactly when. And as we'll find out later, they are not ready. And when Delenn has that great conversation with Jakar, and I'm, they finally tell Jakar everything. And Jakar's like, why didn't you tell me earlier? And Delenn's like, we weren't prepared and Jakar basically says, I will forgive you, but not today. And that's an amazing scene that's coming down the road. Interesting, though. You mentioned the braces he talked to, the major powers. Mm-hmm. Unless I passed out and fell asleep, which was entirely possible in the two times I watched this, um, I've had a really long week. He did not talk to the humans. Well, and that's what Kosh was referring to. And JMS has said this, that they are not for you is the humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, because... As we find out, the shadows and the Vorlons are already messing with the humans. Obviously, the Vorlons gave us telepaths, but we will find out later that shadows are working directly with Psychor. And so there's already that interplay. So Morden doesn't really have to go to the humans because they're already working with the humans. And uh, the Vorlons do not want them messing with the humans because they see them, again, because of Valen and a whole bunch of other stuff. The humans are the main cusp of this. And so there is that... And I, I forgot which one of our newbies said it. There is absolutely a, um, a proxy war going on on Babylon 5. Absolutely there is. Mike, did you have something you want to add? No, I think that was that was one of the points I was going to touch on. Oh, it's, it's, it's the connection that, that they deliberately didn't make because they didn't need to because yes. it was already made and they shot right past and clear back to Earth Central. As soon um, as, as, soon as the, the humans found that shadow vessel on Mars, humans were in play. Yeah, and, and I was kind of screaming in my chair about that whole Morden and uh, Kosh interaction because I, yes. I think eventually people kind of touched on it, but it was very apparent to me that that Morden was trying to avoid Kosh 
Yes. At first, he straight up hid from him down a side corridor. And in fact, the second time when they actually did come face to face, I think Morgan was taken by surprise. Kosh came out of the hallway behind him and they were forced into a conflict he didn't want to have. And the shadows also, didn't want to have it either. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I also don't think it was a coincidence that Kosh returned to the station like right as all of this was happening, happening right after Morden got there. I think there may have been a very deliberate reason why Morden was there when Kosh wasn't. Mm-hmm. And then and back. It, to, oh, go ahead. Oh, and then back to your earlier point about the the even the Membari not knowing precisely when the shadows would be returning. I think I think more to the point is maybe they didn't know how the shadows would return, and that's why they were still able to kind of get the drop on Delenn the way they did i completely agree and you know part of that i again in my head canon i this makes perfect sense to me because you're you're relying on a biased narrator which is sinclair he only knows what he knows and when he gets sent back with b4 and becomes valen he doesn't know everything that's going on every minute in the station so he doesn't know that this is exactly when the shadow showed up he can't tell the membari and borlons that he just knows hey this year the shadows will return, and that's what he can tell them. Um, the other thing, too, the guy, the the, the newbies mentioned that uh, they thought Kosh was going to get coshed. He, when he does, it is one of the most heart wrenching scenes because when we finally get to know Kosh as a quote unquote person, and he becomes a father figure to Sheridan. And we do see exactly what we saw here, where now this time it was an even fight and uh, Kosh got beat up a little bit. When we see the shadows literally kill Kosh, that is a huge turning point in the show as well, too. And um, it will happen. So he hasn't been Koshed yet, but he will get Koshed. And when he does finally get killed by the shadows, it, it really is a piece of, you know, the actions in this show have consequences because Sheridan asked him to intervene in something. Yes. And when he wasn't Kosh, ready. And they, when he wasn't ready, Kosh said, if I do this, I will not be there for you. Oh, and, and Kosh begged him not to. Yeah. Begged him. Yes. And that's, I mean, we see that a lot. This show, actions have consequences that play out far reaching. Well, that's why we're coming to such a big change uh, for many reasons when we get past season one. For one, for one, it's going to be very happy on a meta side because I can stop hiding uh, mirror furlong pictures from season two and i can stop not talking about bruce boxleitner so i'm looking forward to getting those off the table but our characters start having to deal with things that they're not going to be fully aware of once once sheridan joins up and especially after war without end when um sinclair does head back after that they don't know what's going to happen right now the vorlons and the mimbari have a decent idea of how this is going to go up until when B4 gets sent back and then they're on their own. And it becomes even more so when the Vorlons and the shadows are going to leave for beyond the rim, then they're really on their own. So I love how this is kind of transitioning to, uh, as they call it, a third age. So what other questions, Kevin, did we have from the noobs? Uh, there were some questions about who the pirates worked for. Um, I think they were just standard freelance pirates. This really is the end of them. They show yeah. up briefly Sort of. There is a reference in season five, which we all try to forget, but there is a reference in season five to raiders um, attacking a world. Um, But it turns out not to be, even though I think it's even the same ships they show um, in the episode, it is not the actual raiders that we've seen now. It's actually the Drazi doing it, um, posing as the raiders. So This is pretty much the end of, quote, the Raiders that we've seen throughout season one, except for that reference. I think there's also a reference in Legend of the Rangers to some Raiders. Well, (laughs) but we don't talk about that either. 
Um, so we'll see if we make the newbies watch that. I kind of want to end this podcast on a high note with sleeping in light. Of course, we may get the reboot and that changes everything, but I kind of want to end with sleeping in light. So I don't know if I'm going to force the kids to watch Legends of the I Rangers or Lost Tales. Legends of the Rangers or the Lost Tales. I mean, Lost Tales are just as wow. But yeah, um, and you know, I'm I'm really surprised by that. Like we we talked about this several episodes back, and I pointed this out. I usually don't watch season one like this. In fact, I probably haven't watched season one like this since 1994. So I always remember the Raiders being much of a more cusp of the story in season one, and they're not. And that is fascinating to me. It's just in my head, I had that the Raiders are there a lot and they're just not. And I do love the fact that they get taken off the board by the shadows. And some of our newbies did recognize that that was a new race. Nicole actually thought it could have been Vorlons, but I think Justin flat out said, is that the shadow vessel? And yes, it is a shadow vessel. Uh, and this I is think, a new race. This is the sixth race. I think remembering it that first time through, I mean, obviously at the age we would have been watching that, um, what, probably about 10, 11. Yep. 11 for me. Yeah. Yeah, about the same for so you know, watching it that first time through, the episodes with the Raiders were the action episodes. So yeah. those are probably the ones that stick in our head from that first watch through. Very true. You know, because I'll I'll be honest, at eleven years old, I don't think I would have seen the nuance that's sitting in this show. That you know, watching it now, a knowing the overall arc of the story, having watched this so many times at this point, and really able to appreciate how much more in season one exists beyond those few points of action episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, uh, uh, I noticed that a lot of the the, the peeps did they did, didn't initially seem like they latched onto the idea that there was another race, but but by the end of the conversation with the noobs, I feel like they kept just referring to them as the shadows. Yeah, they kind of walked their really way funny. into it, didn't they? Justin yeah. was the first one to get there. Yeah, and then they, oh, she flat out said too. She's like, yeah, this, uh, Morden works for well, the shadows, and yet. Yeah. Nobody actually mentioned the scene where like Morden fades out into a shadow as like the most on the nose like here it is kids yeah no and uh it's it's interesting and he did again. that with the lynn too yes yes right. but both the lynn and kosh morden kind of faded into a shadow yep yeah he got the frick out of there mm-hmm. it's interesting that uh again i i've i've made this point a couple times now but i just love going back and watching this knowing everything like again when when the newbies now realize that whenever they watch mr morden from here on out, he has handlers the entire time and just watch him with that in mind. And it just, it adds so much to the dynamic. Um, Yeah. And I also, uh, you know, Mike, you mentioned how Mr. Morden kind of starts off kind of in one type of personality moves on. He reminds me of a used vacuum uh, salesman. Absolutely (laughs) does. And Mike and I have both sold vacuum cleaners back in the day. Uh, just like when he gets like really close with Londo with that cheesy smile, like I'm going to sell you something. <laughs> I just, I love that. There is no mistaking a high pressure old school salesman. Yes. Like you just DM me one question we have not touched on. Yeah. There's one we I have wonder. not touched on. I was scrolling back through the list and it had to do with why was Sinclair chosen by yeah, we, we haven't talked to anything about the B plot. I think. Yeah, yeah you know, and that that's... one, and we're, we're kind of getting there with that list. I know we've touched on off and on and beyond the rim about Sinclair being chosen by the Mabari and the reason behind right. that. Um, where we're really going to see this though come into play as far as him being passed over is the F to coming up with eyes. Yes, absolutely. You know, when we dive, and that's what this is when we dive into eyes, and we've so. got that episode where, um, and you've got, I've, I've said it before, you know, sci fi's greatest guest star, Jeffrey Combs, shows up in that one. Yes. And not really that deep dive into 
some of the resentment towards Sinclair yes. for being chosen for the B5 post. Well, and we've all been manifested yeah. and his the consequences of what he's done as commander and his backstory, um, which we saw it with the episode with the Knights kind of digging into his loyalty and that it's all going to come to play and come to head in eyes. That's a good point. And Blake, uh, thank you for bringing that up because I, I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, we probably got some folks who are joining us for the first time because this is such a pivotal episode. And I, we, we just keep talking to Sinclair and Balin like everyone knows. But, you know, I know because I've talked to a few of you that you are listening to Beyond the Rim, even when you shouldn't. So we'll go ahead and reiterate for everybody, just so everyone knows. So Sinclair um, is going to go back in time. He is going to be our Marty of the show. So uh, in a few episodes, we're going to see Babylon 4 go back in time. But what we're going to find out down the road is hitching a ride on that station is Sinclair. He will go back a thousand years and become Valen, the mythical leader of the Mimbari. Yes, that makes Zathras Doc Brown. Yes, it does. Not Zathras. Zathras. <laughs> Zathras. God, I love Zathras so much. But no, so he will go back and more uh, of an Einstein, really. But <laughs> <laughs> no, Zathras is more than Einstein. <laughs> Zathras is not a dog. He's a cat. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so as I was saying, <laughs> Sinclair will go back in time and become Valen, and that's where obviously the uh, the hole in his mind comes from. And yeah, uh, one of the newbies did ask, you know, when are we going to find out more about the hole in the mind? Um, it's going to take a while because we're not going to get the full idea of why that thing glowed until he heads back and uses the Vorlon to make the Membari believe that he is the second coming of whatever and lead them through the Shadow War. So I think. A lot of this is, again, tied into the whole time loop aspect, which we have not gotten to yet. And the fact that the reason why Kosh and the reason why the Mimbari know the shadows are at least potentially going to be coming soon is because Sinclair told them they're coming. And this is when you can expect them. So we're going to go ahead and wrap it up there then. I think this is a I'm, I'm really excited now. We're one person short still, so we'll see how John's doing. We'll take his temperature next week, but I think our other folks are all bought in. Uh, I was really excited to hear Jesse say flat out that this is the Babylon 5 she was waiting for. So we've got a few more bumps in the road, but I think once we get the chrysalis, we are full steam ahead. Season two is a, a bit of a slow burn at the beginning, but... At least we'll know the shadows are coming. And of course, season two is called, much like season one is signs and portents, season two is the coming of the shadows. So it's going to be good. Okay, guys, we'll go ahead and wrap it up there. Again, thank you so much for taking a look at us. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, you can go ahead and find us in all your social medias. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're also on YouTube if you want uh, to watch audio more power to you. And then as we mentioned earlier, we do also have our Patreon at patreon.com slash gray 17 podcast, but you can find everything links and all at anchor.fm slash gray 17 podcast. Uh, until next time, when we talk about unions, I'm Scott. And with me as always has been Kevin, Mike and Blake. Leave this place. They are not for you. Go.